Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shanna and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Hello, all you beautiful souls out there. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. We would appreciate you doing so. So Mandy and I want to let you know that what we talk about in our podcast are from our own experience, our views, our perceptions, we share our journey, and maybe you will relate and maybe you won't. We are still on our journey, and this podcast is a journey of itself. It has its own energy, its own path and purpose, and please know that it is really from our soul and that we hope to encourage you, inspire you, and the topics we talk about are the topics that mean the most to us during our spiritual growth. Today is our first Soul Survivor episode. We look forward to, on occasion, having a guest speaker who is willing to share their amazing soul surviving stories. Today, we are so excited to share with you our interview with my old friend, Jeff Johnson. Jeff was released from prison last year in 2018 after spending more than half of his life in prison for a murder that he did not commit. We apologize in advance for the not-so-high-quality audio, and we hope you enjoy. And more importantly, we hope that you are as inspired with Jeff's story as we are. So, Jeff, you and I have gone to school together. You've known each other for a long time. I definitely remember your mullet. I loved your mullet. (laughs) Those are coming back. Don't talk about the mullet. Oh, come on. And I loved your red hair, too. This is, and you know what? You know what else I can picture, Jeff? Is I can picture your jean jacket. Oh, damn. Yeah. No, seriously. When you said that you still picture me as like this young teenager, which that's wonderful. You can just keep that picture in your head. (laughs) But I picture you with a mullet and a jean jacket. You know what? I I remember I even got that jean. I remember that jean jacket because I used to wear it all the time uh, because I got it when. uh, I, I did that modeling thing for him that one time. Me too. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then they get, they gave me that jacket. So have you been back to Aurora Mall since? Yesterday. I, I was actually there yesterday. Um, it's different, huh? Yeah, I went to Macy's and uh, got some cologne. Ooh. Ooh, nice. Well, okay, Jeff. So you were incarcerated for how many years? Tw- 24 and a half years. Can you give us a brief description of why you were incarcerated? So, um, I started, like, uh, smoking weed and ditching school. Uh, my mom ended up filing neglect on me. Ended up getting pulled over, and they ended up put like, having everybody's family come and pick them up. Uh, my family didn't come pick me up, and I went to social services. Oh. Yeah, so I went to... Uh, a couple different like group homes and then they finally ended up placing me in an emancipation home and i got to the emancipation home in december of 93 the guy who actually became my co-friend john jordan had gotten out of his home like two years before i got there okay well one of the foster brothers had seen him on the bus and brought him back to the back to the house he asked the foster mom to take him to get his check she couldn't go because her car was broke down. The foster brother seen him on the bus. He couldn't go because he was on a court curfew for a stolen car. So the foster mom told me to go with him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. So we went to this uh, alley at this parking garage. Um, 
basically right by where I work now. And he was talking about taking one of the car phones. So anyways, I was like, well, you know, do what you're going to do. And I, because I didn't want to get in trouble because they told me if I had gotten in any trouble that they were going to send me to a thing called a job corps in Clearfield, Utah. Well, obviously, I didn't want to go to Utah. Yeah. So, um, I was like, well, do what you're going to do. And I started walking away. And uh, we were on the second floor of this parking structure. And I made it almost to the second door. And I heard the door behind me, and there were two doors in the structure, and I heard the other door open and close. And it, when I turned around, I had seen the owner of the car, I kind of go running at my coat Oh, my God. Uh, and I had seen the owner of the car. They ended up, I thought they were wrestling. I went back over there, and when I did, my coat kind of grabbed him and turned him up against his pillar and I seen like the whole front of his shirt was like covered in blood and, oh. um my co-defendant had a knife that he was actually trying to undo the screws with oh and he ended up stabbing the guy with then another individual actually came into the garage he's like what's going on in here and you know I was like hey this guy needs help and uh he ended up seeing what was happening and then he took off and left my co-defendant turned to me and he was like uh you know Basically, come on, man, get the fuck. We got to get out of here, get out of here. It's like, get in the fucking car. Okay. And I, I remember I was just like, like stuck, just mentally like stuck. Like, yeah, I was seeing everything. I was, I was visualizing it all, but like my mind was just moving so slow. And how old I, were you, Jeff? I was 17 when it happened. 17 when it happened. Yeah. Jeff, I mean, I, what I do remember of you, you were a very sweet kid. You were very sweet. You were always kind. I've never seen you violent. It's just I, I knew the minute I heard that there was no way. You know, and everybody that, because, like, they were even going to have, like, character witnesses. And, like, everybody that ever grew up with us, you know, they're like, I'm going to seem to get in a fight. <laughs> right. Sure? Yes. So from there. Oh, uh, so, okay. So from there, um, you know, he ended up telling his roommate, his roommate called his mom, like his adopted mom, and uh, she ended up calling police. Well, when he got arrested, he didn't even know my name. He was just like, yeah, the white boy did it. Oh, wow. And he ended up, like, it, coming, getting in the back of the police car and driving them to, to the group home. Oh, my God, um, to come and accuse you. Right. Well, my dad had got, got me some lawyers originally, and... You know, they were, they were talking about giving me a deal, but they wanted to talk to me. And, uh, you know, the lawyer was like, well, I'm not going to let you guys talk to them, you know, until we can get something set up. Well, so they ended up not talking to me, and the next day they ended up transferring me to the adult courts. Wow. So Why is they that? Tried, uh, just be, so it's, it's basically up to a district attorney um, who he wants to take to the adult courts, depending on the charges. So... Being that it was uh, facing murder charges, you know, he didn't need to ask judges or anything like that. Even though I never had a criminal record or anything like that. You had no prior, did you have any prior record at all? No. Wow. Wow. So how long after that did you end up getting sentenced? Or was it a long trial or was there even a trial? Oh, yeah. So, So I ended up spending... I want to say about a year in Arapahoe County Jail, like awaiting trial. I ended up going to trial in May, 
Um, they ended up, so I asked my lawyer, you know, I had a different lawyer at this time, and I was like, you know, I want to at least speak on my behalf, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it was basically him and some of his friends saying, you know, that I was doing this, but like all the physical evidence, like, because uh, he had scratches and uh, bruises. And, and his you know, clothes had the blood on it. Yeah, his clothing was ripped, covered in blood. Um, none of that was on mine. And then, you know, like they take naked pictures of you and everything. And I didn't have no scratches, no bruises, no nothing. Wow. Um, you must have been so terrified. Oh, God, yeah. Well, it was just, it, I mean, it was my first experience with anything. I mean, well, definitely not with anything like this. But, yeah. I mean, it was Um. So I, he told me if I would have testified at my trial that I would be labeled a rat and killed in prison. Oh so obviously we didn't testify at trial. So it's basically my code of fans words versus nothing from, from, you know, our side. Oh my God. Uh, so I ended up getting two life without paroles and I ended up getting transferred up to the adult uh, prison called uh, Arkansas Valley. It's in the, uh, it's in uh, Ordway, Colorado. But I was transferred up there. I remember I, I was just there kind of briefly, and uh, this guy came into my cell. Well, he actually talked to me outside, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, he wanted to talk to me about like, some youth program that they were talking about. I went in his cell, and then this dude right out the gate, like, I'm going to make you my bitch. <gasps> Oh, so, no, Jeff. So all those like I, all those horrible rumors you hear about prison are true. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely happened yeah. up there. And, and honestly, it probably would have happened to me, just keeping it honest, uh, but my celly actually came and saved me. Oh, man. Um, it wasn't for my celly. Like, yeah, my, my life and everything probably could have been completely do you, different. Do you still talk to anybody that you were incarcerated with? Yep. Uh, so I probably get... Uh, I don't, I don't know, maybe we're taking 10 phone calls a week from, okay. from the prison. And then, you know, I, I, I've been back into the prison to speak. Because, um, you know, like one of the wardens like became extremely supportive of me. Nice. And he's just like, you know, I want, I want these guys to know that there's, it's, it's possible to, you know, succeed out here. Because here I was, I came out to the streets. I never seen all this technology. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, here I got it. I drive a Cadillac XTS. What? So let me ask you real quick, when exactly were you released? And why were you released? Can you explain what happened? Sure. 24 and a half years later is when I got out. I got out on November 2nd of 2018, last year. So what led to that? Yeah, so what happened was in, uh, I want to say it was like 2006. Um, my co-defendant had turned his life over to God, and he ended up, uh, you know, writing a letter and confessing to everything, and then giving up, you know, the physical evidence, the DNA evidence. Um, so it, it proved that I wasn't the killer. And one of my prison friends actually helped me file a motion called 35C, it's a post-conviction motion. Wow. And he helped me file that. And it, it ended up getting the Colorado Supreme Court said, you know, the county needs to take back, take my case back. Yeah. So I went back and uh, it took, they, they made that ruling and, and I might be wrong, but I think it's 
February 2014. Oh my God! Why um, all the time in between? Um, so that that's just how it goes. When you have life without parole, like it just takes forever uh, <sighs> to get you know to get back into courts or anything. Um, I mean, because we don't have it's called time bars. So like people with regular felons would have like a three year time bar. So you know the courts have to push them in, otherwise they basically get released. Um, but if you have life without parole, then you have no time bar, so you're basically just pushed to the back of the docket until a court has time. Oh, that mm-hmm. seems so unfair and so I, I don't I don't know. It just that doesn't even seem right. So he admitted and wrote a letter that he was the one who committed the killing and you had nothing to do it with it in 2006. And then you were not released until 2018. Yep, November of 2018. So this is probably kind of a strange question, but do you ever miss like being there because that became home to you? Yes. So when uh, I actually took um, five of the senators and uh, Jeff Carney from Seven Habits. Okay. Um, I actually just took them back into prison. Uh, I think it was June 5th that we went back in there. I remember one of the legislators asked me, she was like, well, how do you feel being back in here? I was like, honestly, comfortable. Yeah, I bet. So do you hold any resentment towards John Jordan, the system and how they failed you and how it took so long or the people in the prisons or towards anyone over this situation? No. Um, uh, honestly, I can say no at this time. I don't. When I first went in, uh, I, I did. Yeah. You know, I felt like I felt like I was just as much as a victim and, and probably embarrassing to say, like, if not more so than the actual victim. Like, I, 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 was that, I was that selfish in my beliefs that I felt like that. Yeah. And, like, while I was in there, I kind of became a plague of our system. Like, I got involved with drugs. I got involved with doing drugs, selling drugs. Yeah. You know, just doing the things that you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And I, I gotten real suicidal. Yeah, that was a question I was going to ask you. Did you ever did you ever feel like you wanted to just die? Yeah, um, and actually that was my turning point. So I was talking to my grandma, uh, and Shannon, you probably remember my grandma, the one that used to always walk down to the King Super when I lived from Buckley. Well, I was going to say, I if, if I remember anyone, like, I don't remember your parents, but I remember your grandma. Yeah, yeah, everybody remembers grandma. Um, but, you know, I, was, I, was, I remember I was talking to my grandma, and, uh, and, oh, and actually, I was, I was actually talking to my dad, my dad, mom, but I was thinking about my other grandma today, uh, because of something I said, but anyway, um, but I was, I was talking to my grandma, and she's like, you know, what's wrong with you? I was like, grandma, I was like, you know, I'm just done. I was like, I'm going to die in prison for a murder I didn't even commit. And, you know, she said, everybody got a life sentence. We're just going to do it in different places. Wow. Whoa, that's very profound. And I know, it's like, oh, damn, I just found my grandma's a little samurai ninja warrior. <laughs> uh, Some wisdom there. Sure, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely relate. I, I'm in recovery. I, I was an alcoholic and an addict, and my mom said some, something similar to me that I saw you had said to the newspaper about how it, it doesn't define us. It doesn't define who we are. And I loved that your grandma 
was so wise to share those words with you. Oh, yeah. No, and it, and it does. I mean, you figure basically now, uh, I mean, a lot of my best friends are, are some of the worst, like, criminals, I guess you would say, in, in the state because that's the only people I've been housed around. For yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I hate judging somebody by the, wor- the, the worst mistake they ever made in life. Of course, uh, of course. And... And I know that it, it, for for all these people out here who obviously have never made mistakes, it's just easy for them to judge everybody like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not that guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Were you um, ever angry with God? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think sometimes it made me question the real existence. Yeah, I bet. Uh, you know, because it's, it's so easy, I think, to see like selfishly. And, you know, because we get so caught up in, in the moment, like, why me? Why this? Why that? Why you know? And, and all these why questions they can't nobody ever answer except for God. Yeah. But how did, yeah? How did you cope in there? Like, like yeah. What, what did you? How did you find peace if you did ever find any peace in there, or did you? So I think once uh, I really started like dissecting what my grandma said, um, and then I started really realizing like it's really that easy. I mean. How we live life is based on perception. So if you look at life negatively, you know, your, your life's going to suck. That's right. If you look at life positively, you're going to have a great life. Granted, things ain't always going to work out the way they are, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's almost like when we were kids, how you looked at life, it's just life. Yeah, um, I know. And I, I remember watching, like, I don't know if you've ever seen a show called Extreme Home Makeover. Mm-hmm. But they, they would have like these little kids with cancer, they were fucking cancer, or some of these other like life threatening diseases, just kicking their asses. I mean, just physically in pain all the time. Um, but yet these little kids would focus on the good things, and they would always be smiling. They would yeah. always be so upbeat. So it just made me realize, like the only thing I really truly needed to change about me was was me. Um, you know, I think I think I've always been a really good person. I think that. For the most part, I was just always a follower. So I, even in my own life, I was following who I thought I should be, like a character chameleon. I wasn't who I who I was or who yeah. I. Jeff, what would you tell like today's teenagers? What would you tell like my son? So I mean, a lot of them, uh, because I actually helped create the program up there, and a lot of them, I, I think, I think that they look at their parents. From my experience working with all the at-risk youth and running the programs up there for about five years, what I what I seem to figure out the most is a lot of these kids think that their parents were never those people. You know what I mean? We look at we look more at our parents as more like a disciplinarian as a as an authoritative figure instead of you know like some of these at-risk youth. They don't need that in their life. They need their parent to realize like their kids number one. So you need to be their best friend at times, and if they're going to expose themselves to you, listen to it without disciplining it. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, sometimes they might just be talking to you about their situation that they're going through. It's not looking for an answer. Sometimes you got to let them still make their own way through it. Mm. It's just letting them get it out. Yeah, like like less, less lecturing and more listening. Absolutely. When you were in prison, were you offered any sort of 
therapy? Did anyone teach you coping skills like for anxiety or depression? Did you experience anything like depression or anxiety? I read that you did six and a half years in solitary confinement. And I have to tell you, I started trembling because that sounds so terrifying. And so how did you cope with that? And did they have people in the system to help you? Well, so in the solitary confinement, no. Um, basically, the way that the mental health helps you in there, they just try to put you on meds. And if you're still struggling, then they'll just up those meds or put you on something stronger. Oh, my God. To make you more like a like a, a zombie, I guess. Yep. Um, but, you know, to me, it's, it's like I'm afraid to take medication now. Uh, put me on a pill, and I started having, like, suicidal thoughts. Mm. Um and they, they told me it was normal, and they sent me back to the pod, and that night I had cut my wrist. Wow. And I just think, you know, if my celly hadn't walked in. Thank God. You know, I mean, uh, I might not be here. So, Jeff, what about afterwards? Did they provide any sort of mental health afterwards? Or, like, follow-up aftercare? You mean, like, out here on the, on the streets? Yeah. Yep. No. Uh, Were they just so, like, here's your shit, Goodbye. Uh, actually, I still never even got my check. Yeah, I, I'm still waiting for my check. And then my parole officer, he sent me over to uh, the hu- human services. Yeah. I went to get food stamps and uh, whatever it is, either Medicare or Medicaid. Which yeah. One, uh, and they told me I didn't, I didn't qualify for it because my wife made over $1,700. She made two grand uh, oh my a month. God. And, you know, in Denver... Two grand, two grand, uh, that's probably pretty much your rent. Since I've been out, I haven't really had, you know, no help from the system as far as that goes. Uh, although I, I will say I've been blessed with two really good uh, parole officers. I had one in Denver and now I'm up in the spring. And uh, I will say I was definitely blessed with the parole officers. Jeff, do you consider yourself like a man of faith? Did you have any burning bushes in prison? I, I mean, how have you dealt with forgiveness? Um, where do you find that? Um, yeah, so I, I think for me, uh, I mean, obviously now faith is a big thing in my life. Um, I think it's easy to deny the, you know, deny God and deny all these things. Um, but yet, it, it's, it's so crazy that whenever any of anybody, even the person that's supposedly the biggest atheist on the planet, when they're going through the worst time in their life, or or something happens to one of their family members or something, we always reach out to them. Yeah. Well, God, if you're, and we try to make the deal with him. If you're real, fix this. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Instead of just realizing, like, look, did you not read about what happened to Jesus on this road? Um. None of us are going to experience anything that bad. Right. Hey, Jeff, let me ask you, what is the the biggest difference? Like, what is the sh- biggest shocking best since, thing? Since 1994 to 2018. Technology. 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 Yeah. Siri is super smart. <laughs> yeah, right? Knows everything. Like, yeah, like, I, I totally wish I had a... a I had Siri back in the day when I was going to school. Shanna, Shanna even has a vacuum cleaner that is a robot that vacuums her house. Oh, that damn <laughs> thing is the best working thing in this house. It's her name's Rosie. Really? Yes. Yeah. My vacuum cleaner. Oh yes. Yeah. You need to get one of those. 
Really? It's so yes. crazy. Did the prison give you help to withdraw off of the drugs while you were in there? Did you join AA or NA while you were in there? Do they offer you help? Because being an ex-addict myself, I can't even imagine having to do that without help. They did have AA. They might have. I don't know. I don't even know if they had NA, but I know they did have AA. But no, they they don't give you anything to help you with it. Uh, You just kind of got to, Go, go down that bridge by yourself. Oh, that's so, so terrifying. Now, now, Jeff, that you're out, has it been a challenge to stay sober? No. Because, uh, I, I, you know, I made that commitment to myself. But, you know, like the one thing I, I, I ain't going to lie, that I really kind of wish I could do is smoke weed. Um, I keep hearing about all this, how the weed's so good. Uh, <laughs> I do remember that then, about you, too, actually. Yeah, I, I like to smoke weed. Were um, you, like, shocked and, as shit to come out and see all the dispensaries everywhere? Yeah. Well, I'm still shocked. Crazy? So I've actually spoken at a couple halfway houses also since I've been out. Awesome. And it seems like they got these damn marijuana dispensaries right next to the halfway house. They do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why would you put the halfway house there or uh, okay the dispensary? The state okay to the dispensary to put foot right there. Yeah. And it doesn't um, make a lot yeah. of sense. It doesn't, but it's so true. It's all financial. Oh, it totally is. And the money. So let me ask you, if there was one lesson or blessing that you learned about yourself and within your story that you want the listeners to know, what would it be? That every single one of us is, is capable of greatness. It's just... We, we always look for somebody else to, to, to believe in us, to kind of build us up where we put ourselves down. So I always believe in, don't listen to somebody else, believe in yourself. Start listening to yourself. I mean, because if I can do it, then I mean, anybody can do it. I definitely ain't the very smartest tool in the shed. <laughs> well, I don't know. You do sound pretty smart. And Jeff, what you're saying is that self-love, believing in yourself, finding that power within yourself. And not looking to other people to fill you, to look to yourself. Right. I love that. It's got to start from within. That's right. Um, to me, that's, a, that's like the secret of life. The best life you're going to have is when you're happy on the inside, because it don't really matter what the hell is happening on the outside. You're really getting a second chance in life, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a... <laughs> you know, I figured, for whatever reason, these are the cards God gave me. Uh, I mean, I could be sad about it or I could embrace it. I choose to embrace it because, I, I mean, he's just been bestowing blessings on me since the day I got out. And, you know, I've had a few other guys, uh, you know, that, that were in the system now that where it's kind of weird, but they're almost looking up to me and maybe mentor ain't the right word. But, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll call me and ask my advice for things, you know, but I tell them, like, look, all I like to do is tell you a personal growth. I don't know anything about these streets. This ain't my, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still a foreigner out here. I um, mean, did you even have your license before you got incarcerated? No, nah, I never been close. Oh, and I, now you got a Cadillac? Yeah, I got a, uh, oh, that's a nice one, too. It's loaded, fully loaded. <laughs> I saw a picture of it. It is nice. I didn't see a picture I of it. I think it was on his Facebook. <laughs> Would that be the same message that you'll tell your children when they get older? Oh, especially my daughter. Just because I, I know I know as a man, and to be honest, like I, I think 
probably some of that I'm still probably stuck in that 17 year old mind frame yeah. but I just know that I don't want her to her to feel like she needs to be put down or uh, a dude needs to control her because to me when somebody's trying to change you they don't love you for you they love you for who they think they want you to be oh. so and I've never like understood the philosophy of dudes that that beat their women and then tell them they love them You know, you said something that was very powerful in one of the newspapers that I read. And I think there's a lot of teenagers out there that need to hear it from you. And that is that you also have to be careful who you surround yourself with. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But would that be a message that you would continue to share? Oh, yeah. I mean, who we surround ourselves with, I mean, it kind of even molds us as a person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think the, the people that I hung around with, I mean, I think everybody was de- definitely good people. You know, I mean, but even like this one situation with my coach, if it wasn't for my action, the only action that really got me to life sentence was my inaction for an action. And, and not stopping, and not stopping. Yeah. Have you had contact with the gentleman who passed away's family? Have you been able to ever make amends that you felt like you needed to? And have you, you said you worked by the place where it happened. Have you been back there since? Yeah. So um, that was actually the first place that I, that I, I wanted to go. Wow. And so, so when I got out, that was one of the first places that we went to and, you know, to the parking garage and we prayed there. And as far as talking to the victim's family, yes, I, I actually talk to one of the victim's family members probably on a weekly basis. Wow, that's you beautiful. Know, I actually got his dad's watch on right now. He gave me his dad's watch. <gasps> oh, my what? gosh. That's yeah, awesome. Because he's like, you know, just the, the man you are, just, you know, I, I want you to always remember, you know, uh, that time's still going on and you always got, you know, time to do good things and, and to be the manager if you're capable of being instead of the person that they've tried to persecute you as. Wow, Jeff. I'm like really moved by that. That's amazing. It's so beautiful. It's inspiring that you haven't let all of this harden you and turn you into someone that's angry and resentful. I mean, all I hear from you is forgiveness and compassion. That's very inspiring in itself. And I feel like you are that Latin definition of courage. You're speaking your story from your heart. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate it. I can't believe Um, it. It's just amazing. I just, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, though, because I knew who you were before. But I'm just very proud of you. Thank you. So, Jeff, you mentioned that you have a significant other. Didn't you guys get married recently? Yeah, we got married uh, the day I got out. Oh, you did? Wow, that's yeah. a good day. So did you know yeah. her before then? Yeah, so I have met her. She worked at the prison. And I, I know that the story sounds like it'd be good at that point, but yeah, it's definitely, it's not, it's not that good. <laughs> so I created a program in DOC, like Restorative Justice, Victim Awareness, Victim Impact. Okay. And uh, Jenny was a counselor in a therapeutic community. Well, one time I was in a meeting with her boss and she had walked into the room and her boss told her to sit down, you know, and uh, that she might like this program. So that's where I met her. And then I talked to her a couple of times. She wasn't even like thinking that she was thinking like that at that time. And then she ended up leaving DOC and, and, you know, started working like uh, at the Savio house, like with some at-risk youth. And 
I don't even remember like how long she was gone or whatever. But I'm, you know, she had, she had ran into an issue with some of the at-risk dudes, and she had, she was like, you know, she remembered that I had said that I had worked with them, so she reached out to me, talked to me about it, and then we just never stopped talking. And then tell the listeners now what's going on with you and her right now. You have something coming up. Yeah, so we got twins coming in October. <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah, we got a little boy and a little girl, so it's going to be uh, Jenna Lynn will be our daughter's name, and Jeremiah will be our son's name. Oh, Aww. I love it, Jeff. I'm so happy for you. I would like to just ask one more question, and thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank no, you. You, guys, you can ask anything. I was just going to ask you, you had mentioned in one of the articles that this gave you purpose and meaning, and I was wondering for the end of this interview if you could just explain what the purpose and meaning is. Well, I, I don't think that the act of her, I don't think there is no purpose in meaning for that. Um, I think it's just absolutely complete ignorance. But I don't believe in allowing a negative just to control us. So to me, I believe that we can always take a negative and, and create positives from it. You know, so for me, I think my purpose of meaning out here now, like, I mean, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm making good money and stuff. But I, that's not, I don't believe why God brought me out here. I believe he brought me out here to make the impact in the kids' lives. You know, and like I told the director of, of prisons, uh, the new director, Dean Williams, in the first conversation I had with him, I told him that my number one goal out here on the streets is to try to make sure that he doesn't have a job. Wow. <laughs> I love that. I mean, he, he's, one of, he's one of the best men I've ever met. Has a, has an exceptional uh, vision for correction. I mean, he's so, he believes in people, and I love that about him. Wow. But my thing is, is I want to make sure I want to put him out of a job because none of these kids out here are committing any more crimes. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've you know, made so you're making your pain your purpose. You're make you're making your situation that was so unfortunate. You're making that part of your purpose in life to change absolutely. the world. You're make or as Shannon and I say, you're making your mess your message. Absolutely. I mean, it's, to me, it's kind of like uh, you know I. I want to make sure that I'm out here every single day living in honor of, you know, so my victim didn't, he didn't die in vain. Oh, uh, like, I really so could care less if, if at this point, if I, you know, about, like, the bad situation. Like, for me, it's about what can we do to rectify that to make sure it never, ever happens again to anybody else's family. That's right. Um, and and how, how do we get there? And to me, it's more about the more we unite together because it, it's almost like, when you look at the old school days and you look at these old school movies, they didn't have all these issues because everybody's family was raising each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, yeah, if I do. If you were down the street, somebody, somebody's mom would be like, I thought you were supposed to be home by now. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or something. Community. Now, like, yeah. Everybody's so, so about themselves and so absorbed. Separated. In the that, yeah. yeah it, it is. I mean, even, when, even on the phone, like nowadays... Everybody wants to do the texting. It's like, why text? Just call me. It's just a different philosophy, different views. I love that um, message. So you, what you're saying is that there is a sense of community and bond and watching out for each other that's been lost. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could you, how many people that you know are, are just fantastic people? But to me, like, if we live, like, interdependent lives amongst each other, like, how, how, how amazing our lives would really be. 
And you know, you you're getting out at a time where violence has gotten worse in Aurora. Right now is when Aurora needs you. I love that you're taking what you went through to go out and try to help kids. I I love that you're doing that. Thank you for that. Yeah, right. Um, but you, you know what even surprised me more than the violence? It's like, no, everybody wants to be on this little racist, dumbass shit. Yeah. And it's like, are you serious? I know. Uh, like, how, like, I thought, why are we going backwards? You know, like, somebody asked me to comment on race, like, you know, if they got race issues. You know, and a lot of times I'm like, look, you're probably not going to like what I got to say. <laughs> you know, because I, I've never grown up around that shit. I don't, I don't care about it. Right, yeah. Um. You know, I mean, if, if, to me, if you're going to look down upon somebody for their, I don't, their skin color, their political views, you're pretty much an idiot. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, that's, matter. That's just ridiculous. We just did our, we just recorded our podcast today and ended on that note that people that are like that are just ignorant because they're just looking at the physical and they're not getting to know people for their soul. Well, Jeff, we won't keep you much longer. I know you had a long day at work. Yeah, I would love um, for us to get together for coffee and meet you in person and your wife, too. I know you've got probably a lot going on, but hopefully eventually we could make that happen. Yeah, and I'm going to have to get on it because I like to crochet baby blankets. (laughs) (laughs) Can you believe that? Hey, can I ask you a question? Do you think two car seats are going to fit in that pimped out caddy? Oh, yeah. You got the bucket seats? Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, you want to know what? I'll give you one positive. At least you mi- you didn't um, have to endure and you missed out on the skinny jeans, the colored men's skinny jeans. <laughs> oh, yeah, but if you see the way I dress, I dress the same way that I spell you stupid. You did? Ah. <laughs> Wait, no. Like a- you got your jean jacket? <sighs> well, I don't have my jean jacket. I'm a flannel. <laughs> well, maybe Shannon and I will buy you one and it'll say Soul Survivor on the back. <laughs> don't do it uh, no you're a survivor man i am so uh happy and blessed that you took the time to talk to us thank you so yes, much i appreciate it so much jeff yeah absolutely anytime oh uh, and i'm down there in aurora every tuesday through friday so if oh. you guys are looking up for lunch or something just give me a call we're Okay, I do. Let's do it. Okay, I will text. You. I'll text you. No, I won't text you. I'll just call you. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I asked my niece because I called her, and her cell phone. I got the answer machine, and I remember I was I was still inside. And I was like, "Where the hell is your answer machine at?" She was like, "What do you mean?" I said, "For your cell phone. Where's your answer machine?" <laughs> I love it. She was like, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "It's on the cloud." I said, "What fuck? What what cloud? What are you talking about?" Yeah, that's, not, that was a crazy conversation. that's so funny. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I still don't understand the stupid cloud thing. Yeah. All right, Jeff. I will, I just want to wish you just the best in your future, and I'm so excited to see these babies. When are When is your wife's due date? Um, October 5th. Awesome. Well, I'm going to pray for you, and again, I hope to meet you soon. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, you guys. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Wow, what a story. Jeff, you are such a great guy. And again, we want to thank you so much for sharing your incredible story and for taking the time to talk to Shanna and I. We both wish you the best and we can't wait to see pictures of your growing family and those cute little babies. If you want to read more about Jeff's case, we'll post some links and a few articles on our website, mysenseofsoul.com. 
I would like to also take a moment and give our condolences to the family of John Leonardelli. I can't imagine the pain you felt by such a senseless act, and our hearts are with you. I love that Jeff is living his life in honor of the victim who lost his life. He has started programs in prison to help teens and is continuing now on the outside with hopes that our teens and other teens don't end up in similar situations and that no more families feel the loss of a loved one due to such an act of such ignorance. As Shannon and I interviewed him, a comment he made about parenting led us to next week's topic. Jeff said, sometimes kids just need to be listened to and not just disciplined. He also said that you have to make them make their own way through it. We loved what he said and thought with the busy flipping school schedules, preparation, back to school shopping, and then just with the stress of going back to school, that that's exactly what our topic is going to be. It's going to be about back to school, and we will talk about some tools to help us all flip and survive through it. Thank you for joining us for our first episode on Soul Survivor, and we can't wait to share many more. If you know someone or you're a soul survivor, please inbox us on our Facebook, Sense of Soul. We would love to hear your stories. We will see you all next week. Oh, and if you're not a parent and you're not a student, and if you're not going back to school, trust us, you do not want to miss next week's episode because we're going to talk about things that you can implement into your life when dealing with stress. Please continue to like, rate, and review. We so appreciate it. We love you guys. We rise to lift you up. We'll see you next week.